I want to welcome uh, our internet audience uh, as well. Uh, as we continue to study the Gospel of John, we are now on Gospel of John chapter 20, uh, and we're going to focus on um, verses uh, 21, actually, through 23. And so uh, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. This is following his first appearance to the, to the uh, group of them together in the upper room. And he is now talking to them about their future. And so if you read along, beginning in verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is a significantly misunderstood uh, series of verses by the Roman church. And so I'm going to spend uh, the entire uh, lesson today uh, explaining to you how, how you need to know that these verses operate and how when the opportunity comes you can speak out in love. And so the, the Roman church has built its doctrine about the priesthood uh, on these verses. This is really where it comes from. Uh, and here they have, they have used these verses to determine that there is a special priesthood, a unique priesthood, separate and apart from the church itself, uh, to whom has been committed the power of absolution of sin. Uh, and, and in normal practice, this is uh, exhibited and exercised in the confessional. And so what they believe is that when the priest absolves sin, uh, that sin is absolved. And where the priest does not absolve sin, sin is not absolved and God does not forgive. Uh, and so, effectively, the issues that come together on this are the way in which forgiveness of sin comes to men and women. The role of laymen and clergy and the nature of the Great Commission itself. Those three issues are all wrapped together on this. It's all inter interconnected. And so, first of all, you understand that we never take a single verse out of context. We don't build a theology on one verse, because if you build a theology on one verse, you are really step, stepping into a very dangerous area. Rather, we harmonize all of the, of the Scriptures. We look at the entire context. Who was saying what? To whom? Under what conditions? What was, the, what was their interpretation of what was being said? How did they uh, proceed as what they understood? All of this is important as you begin to understand how God wants you to, to understand what His will is for our lives. Uh, and so uh, this theological determination is flat out wrong. No human being absolves sin. Can I get an amen on that? No human being absolves sin. Only one absolves sin. It's Jesus Christ. You understand? And as we believe in Jesus Christ and embrace Him through the grace of God, your sins are forgiven. Having nothing to do with any human intermediary. Let's get that straightened out. God may use you to bring the gospel. God may use you to bring the message of salvation, but you're not saving anybody. All right? And so no human being has the authority to absolve sin. Only Jesus Christ. 
Now, let's drill down and look at specific examples that will support this statement. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Let's look at Mark chapter 2 and begin with verse 5. And this is the uh, paralytic that is brought before Jesus. Let's look at verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus, that's the paralytic, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting here thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You got that right. You got that right. Uh, and so you see here, uh, Jesus is making it very clear that only he had the authority to forgive sins. All right? uh, and obviously, it extends to God the Father as well. Uh, but no human intervention can in any way be related to the forgiveness of sins. It's impossible. Now, we have to be careful when you speak to people that are in the Roman church. We love them. Uh, and I'm, I am uh, particularly lucky because in my Monday morning, I have about 35 Roman Catholic guys that come uh, faithfully, faithfully uh, every week. Uh, and they come because they hear the Word of God explained to them in a way that they've not heard it before. And they have a great hunger and a desire to hear this. And if you heard the personal testimonies of these guys telling me about how God is moving in their hearts, even as they still remain in the Roman church. And by the way, I never say to them, leave the church. I'm not interested in leaving, having them leave the church. I'm more interested in them going back to the church and being a positive influence for the Spirit of God in the church. Can you imagine if guys would go back into churches that basically are, are operating in an improper way and go back and begin to change those churches? That's exactly what God wants. All right? So, so uh, this, this becomes an important a point here. So I'm careful as to how I teach this. I'm careful. I think you ought to be careful as well. When you go back and open the Scriptures and say, well, let's look and see what, what God said. Let's see what Jesus said. And, and let's see how the apostles focused in on this. Uh, because they, they're, they're in the room with Jesus. They hear it. Uh, how, how, what was their understanding of this? And so we can continue to drill down on this. Uh, if you would be, look at Acts chapter 10, this is subsequent to Jesus ascending to heaven. All right? It's subs subsequent to this verse that, these verses that we just studied. Acts chapter 10. Uh, and this is uh, G, uh, Peter speaking to Cornelius. And you know that the entire house of Cornelius is saved. And you know that, first of all, Peter had to, had to be uh, reprimanded by, by God because he didn't want to go to Cornelius' house. He was a Gentile. Uh, but God, God reprimanded him in the dream. And so looking at verse 39, Peter says, We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. 
he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. You understand? Here's the guy who was in the room where Jesus has made this statement about whoever you say forgiveness to, your sins will be forgiven. And yet there he is, not saying that I forgive your sins, that I'm forgiving your sins. He indicates right straight up that only through Jesus Christ, as testified right through scriptures, only Jesus himself uh, can do this. And so there you have Peter testifying to that. Uh, turn also uh, to Paul. Look at, at, at Paul's statement on Acts 13, uh, verse 38. I'm doing this because I want you to understand what their interpretation of what Jesus said to them was. Okay? The context. How did they understand it? All right? How did they understand it? So uh, Acts 13, uh, verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, and this is Paul now, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. All right? And there it is. Full forgiveness of sins through belief of Jesus Christ. The apostles understood that the message that they were preaching to the world was a message of forgiveness only by Jesus Christ. Not to them. You don't see them meeting with people and saying, I forgive your sins. I forgive your sins. I absolve your sins. You don't see this. All right? And so this becomes a significant misinterpretation of the theology of our Scripture. Uh, and so, uh, again, we go back to the entire context uh, of this session that Jesus had in the upper room. And look at the context. Jesus came to them first. Uh, what he said is uh, regarding remitting or retaining sin, when he spoke to them, it was preceded first by the gift of peace. Remember that? The peace I give you, the peace of God. So that not only are you uh, at peace with God now, but that you have the peace of God in your heart. That came first. Second, the Great Commission is given to them, meaning you now have the responsibility to go out into the world and to preach and to tell them about this message of forgiveness and their sins. That's your responsibility. Uh, and third, the Holy Spirit is imparted to them. Jesus breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit in that room even before the day of Pentecost. How about that? All right, why? Because Jesus is giving them this specific series of instructions. He's telling them, you have to go out. I'm telling you to go out now. Go out now and, and preach and bring the word and let people understand this. And so, uh, understand this. They were not restricted. This was not a restriction to the special class. Uh, and it was a, a message that they received that was for the entire church. It is for all of us together to engage in the Great Commission. It is for all of us together to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is for all of us to tell people that their sins are, can be forgiven 
by believing in Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility. And Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit that day, and he has given you the Holy Spirit today when you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Amen? Amen. All right, so it's, it's important to understand the context under which this is happening. Jesus is not speaking here just to the, the, the apostles. He is speaking generally of the classes that will come in the church as a whole. Uh, and that the Spirit-filled church will effectively fill these positions with millions of people uh, as we come and accept Jesus Christ and, un and understand this. Uh, we will define for a world what repentance is. Uh, and, and so here, when Jesus says here about the authority to declare those which, sins which are sins that are forgiven and those which are retained, let me make sure I, I explain that to you uh, clearly. It means this. It means that they are to go out and preach to a lost world as representatives of the church of God. Not as themselves individually, but as representatives of the church of God. And as we go out and explain to people what their sins are about, we explain what repentance is about. You understand? We explain what repentance is about. And that's important because the world doesn't understand repentance. They think, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. I'm a good mother. And none of that, none of that has anything to do with repentance. Okay? And God is instructing us as a church to tell them, this is what's required. And when you do this, your sins are forgiven. And if you fail to do it, your sins are not forgiven. Do you understand the difference? Do you see the difference? It's not an instruction to an individual to go out and say, your sins are not forgiven. All right? Do you understand? Your sins are not forgiven. No, it's not. It's about us as a collective church together instructing the lost world that has no idea what it means to repent and what it means not to repent. Okay? What it means not to repent. Uh, and so this, this, is, uh, this becomes uh, very important to, un to understand this. Look also at John 20, verse 23. I mean, and the thing is, is that the, the disciples understood this. They never had any confusion. They never thought otherwise. They understood this. You never see them in any way saying to somebody, your sins are not forgiven. Or, you know, they understood it was basically uh, relating to Jesus. John 20, verse 23. Uh, and Jesus said there, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That doesn't mean an individual right to do that. that is, don't, don't read that verse like that. You've got to read that verse as being a verse that instructs the church, that the church is a responsibility to teach the world what it means to have your sins forgiven. And the church instructs, this is what repentance is. This is how you have to repent. This is what the Scripture says. And if you don't do that, then your sins are not forgiven. Do you understand that? That is a collective designation for the church as a whole. Uh, look also at Luke 24. I hope you all get this. Luke 24, verse 45. This is right before the ascension. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sin 
will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There it is. Okay? There's no confusion. There it is. You're preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name. This will be the church as we go forward together. All, all are commissioned to preach. All are conditioned to teach. All are conditioned to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and teach people what it means to have, repent and have faith. That's your instruction today. It's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Uh, and so if, in fact, this is the proper interpretation that I've given you, and I believe that it is, then the mission of the church must include involvement and proclamation. Uh, we must truly be in the world and not shout the proclamation from afar. What do I mean by that? I mean this. You know now what God has told you to do. Now, that means that you have a responsibility to go to the lost, to go to the unchurched, to go to the people that have not heard the gospel of Christ. And here's the thing. You can't have a holy huddle in the church and think that you're doing that. All you're doing is huddling up with people that are like you. All right? They're, they're the same kind of people like you. They've already believed in Jesus. I know you like them. And they like you. And I like you. You understand? But the liking of each other is not the, the directive of God. The directive of God is to go out into the world to find the lost and preach it to the lost. Oh, John. I hate when you do because it makes me feel uncomfortable. I like to be with my own kind. I don't believe God called me to, to be with people that don't make me feel comfortable, John. They don't dress like me. They don't act like me. They don't speak like me. And you know what? What I would say, snap out of it. Snap out of it. You got that? Snap out of it. You are missing the key call of your life by Jesus Christ. Now, look. I'm not saying that you fly up to New York City and you go into Harlem, uh, you know, or you go into Watts and you have to do these kind of things. No, it starts in your own environment. All right? How many of us have children, uh, an extended family, that we have never spoken about Jesus to? How many of us? Why? Those, those dinners are hard enough as they are, John. <laughs> You have no idea how hard that Christmas meal is. That Easter meal, that Thanksgiving thing, I can barely get the food down. We can't talk about politics, we can't talk about anything, but I'm going to say something to you. You have a responsibility that you, you give the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? You do it in a loving way. You find a way to do it. And if not at the table, then before the table. But you make it a way to do it. And so many of us have failed to do this with our own children growing up, and we wonder why today we have relationships that are broken, that our kids are not in church. Look, there's, there's ample evidence that says that if you don't get a child to believe in Jesus by the age of 10, most likely he won't get to him until he's a very old person. How about that? All those years that could have been serving Jesus Christ, don't leave here today without understanding that this is the proclamation that Jesus has given you. This is why you have received the Holy Spirit. All right? This is why you have received the Holy Spirit. 
So you have to say to yourself today, you know what, if somebody comes to my house, some guy, some repairman comes to my house, I'm going to speak about Jesus. I do that regularly. A guy, a guy came to fix our dock, uh, and he was there, and I just said to him, by the way, are you a, are you a Christian? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. I said, well, you know what? Uh, I said, you know, I teach a non-denominational Bible study on Monday. I'd love to have you come. I gave him a card. He goes, you know what? I've been waiting to find something like this. I've been waiting to find something like this. And this guy now comes every Monday and doesn't miss. Now, it's not me. You understand? Would I, in my own uh, mind, uh, want to put myself out? No, I'm like you. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be a flake. I don't want people to think I'm a zealot. I understand all these things. I grew up like this. But I've understood now that God has called us to a greater calling. This is what it's about. This is why he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. This is why you have the Holy Spirit within you, so that you can do that. So that if you go to a restaurant and you're sitting and a waiter comes out, you might mention to a waiter, we're going to say grace now. Is there anything I could pray for you? And I will tell you this, I defy when somebody will say to you, no, don't pray for me. Don't pray for me. In fact, what you're going to find is more often than not, they'll say, would you please pray for me? I really appreciate it. I could use your prayer. You see, that's how you engage the lost world. So you don't sit in a holy huddle. You don't sit here and just in church and say, I'm going to BLG. I'm going to service. I'm singing the songs. And then we get out of church, and where do we head? Let's go to First Watch. We need some pancakes. And I love pancakes, as you can tell. But here's the point. You have a greater call in your life. You have a greater call in your life. Jesus is calling you to do this. Uh, and, and you see it here in this world. Uh, and so there is no special priesthood. You are called to be the priest of the church. God has given it to you. It is a priesthood that is given generally throughout the entire church. And what do I mean by that? I mean that you have the authority to go and pray for people. You have the authority to prophesy to people and prophesy in the sense of the, of the uh, Old Testament version of basically preaching the word of God. You need to show them Scripture, just like I showed you Scripture here. I hope you keep your notes, and that's what you do. You have that responsibility, and then you have the responsibility to pray for them uh, and, and to tell them about what Jesus is doing for them, that they can be fully justified and have a relationship with God where they will now become the family of God. The family of God. Who wouldn't want to be part of the family of God? They don't know. They don't know, but you know, only through you will they know this. And so, all Christians are equal. You got that? We are all equal before God. God doesn't say, oh, this guy's up like this, and this one's down like this, okay? This one's like this. That doesn't mean that we all have the same gifts. We don't have the same gifts. But in, in the viewpoint of God, there is full equality of Christians across the land. You are equal in every way. There is no special priesthood. None. God didn't do it that way. And when you misinterpret these verses, you go back and look to see how Peter uh, and Paul understood it. And it's very clear. Uh, we function today as prophets in proclaiming that God, that the God that is recorded in the Scripture is the God of Jesus Christ and is everything that we need today. Uh, and so, really, uh, so the question becomes, are we functioning like this? Or do what we will leave our, our, our responsibilities to others? 
And that's something for you to ask on your knees to the Lord. Uh, because believers have many privileges, but we also have responsibilities. You have a responsibility. And I told you that the day is going to come when you come face to face with Jesus and you have that meeting and he's going to run the videotape of your life and you're going to sit there. Some of us are going to say, oh, Jesus, don't do that. <laughs> don't run that videotape. Now I want to go over with you. And then the last thing you want Jesus to say to you is this. Oh, John, oh, John, I had such great plans for you. I had such great plans for you, brother. And what are we going to say? What are we going to say? Instead, I wanted to say this. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful brother and sister. Well done. You understood what I said. You carried it forward. You followed my word. You brought the gospel to the lost. You understood the Great Commission. You lived your life in accordance with my will. Oh, well done. What a, what a wonderful what a wonderful passage. And I want to I close uh, in this section to understand the power of the Holy Spirit, even as in that early church when, when, when God breathed on them. And look at Matthew chapter 16. Okay? And, and we'll, we'll read a few verses before to get context. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter proclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Now let's stop right there. What does that mean? It was revealed through the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? It's not man. He didn't come to this intellectually in his brain. It was through the Holy Spirit that had clearly touched his heart and his mind that he recognized this guy I've been walking with for three years is the Son of God. Is the Son of God. Uh, and, and, and so re going further as you understand this, uh, uh, and, and he says what in verse 18? And this is another one of those verses that are very much misunderstood by the Roman church. And I want to just focus on this. Verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that Peter is the rock of the church? And on Peter the church is building? Now come on, we just read all these verses that demonstrated that we didn't even have authority to forgive sin. And if you don't have the authority to forgive sin, but only Jesus Christ, why then would Jesus designate a human being as the rock upon which the church of Christ is built? You understand that? It makes no sense. But what it means is that this statement of faith that you just gave me, you understand? That statement of faith, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, it is that very statement of faith which becomes the rock of the church. That's the rock of the church. Jesus Christ, Son of God, crucified, dead, and resurrected from the grave, and now sitting on the right hand of God. That is the foundation of the church of God. And Peter is one of the stones as you are a stone, serving him to advance the gospel of Christ. Look, folks, we've covered a lot of things here today. There's a lot of theological meat here. 
you go home and you think about it and you pray about it, but you'll be prepared when the time comes that you're able to speak out in love to, to our friends that don't necessarily share this viewpoint. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for, for the words that you've given us today, Father. I thank you for this message. I thank you for Christ, Lord. I thank you that we have been saved by Jesus and through you, Lord. I ask you that these words resonate in our heart this week, that we leave here with an ever greater understanding of our role in this world, Lord. The Great Commission resonates to us, that we must go out to a world that is lost and preach to them about who you are. Father, be with our people. Protect them in every way. Bring them back safely next week. Uh, and we put all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.